Bridgebank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridgebank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Support for the California Report comes from Barracuda Networks, cloud generation firewalls engineered for today's modern globally dispersed networks. Learn more at barracuda.com firewalls. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And by Paint Care. Through Paint Care, paint manufacturers make it easier for households and businesses to recycle leftover house paint with over 800 convenient drop off locations around California. On today's California Report magazine, 2017 was a year of divisions, people with different perspectives struggling to understand each other. To start off the new year, we're rerunning some of our favorite stories about people coming together in conversation. A grandfather admits to his journalist granddaughter that he mistrusts her profession. What about the media? I mean, the media is just the media. There's there's no hope for it. Why? Like no hope whatsoever? None. Zero. And a conservative Trump voter sits down to dinner with a liberal transgender man. If somebody says, so what are you? Would you say transgender first? I would say I'm a father first. I say way to go because that's how I would identify too. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. After the 2016 election, a lot of people were struggling to understand opinions different from their own. Some were wondering how to break out of their echo chamber and talk to people who come from really different backgrounds. So all year long, we ran a series called Start the Conversation. The idea was to bring people together, people who sit on different sides of a political or cultural divide, to talk about the issues that are important to them. One of our favorites is a conversation between reporter Lacey Jane Roberts, who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and her grandfather, Tom Tyler, who lives in Bozeman, Montana. He joined Lacey from a radio studio there. Lacey, of course, works in journalism. Her grandpa doesn't believe the media can be trusted. Grandpa. <laughs> How are you doing? Hi, dear. Tell me a little bit about how you grew up, Grandpa. I grew up in a very strict democratic environment, and I changed after Jimmy Carter was president. There one thing, interest rates went from 5% to buy a house to 19, 20%, and I couldn't afford to be a liberal anymore. You, you, know the, the, you know the saying, and I kind of believe it's true, if you're not a liberal when you're 19, you don't have no heart. If you're not a conservative by the time you're 50, you got no brains. And I kind of believe that's true. (laughs) 
I think Donald Trump is the best thing to happen for a while. Tell me why. He He's doing things, you know, and, and people complain about his Twitter. I love his Twitter because I'll tell you, he can't come out and say he was taken out of of uh, context. He can't say that because he's putting it out himself. You and me have always gotten along, and I think that we've always been a, a lot alike, even when I was little, you used to say that. So I'm wondering, what, what did you think that I would grow up to be? Hmm. Not a journalist, that's for sure. Why not? I don't know. I just never thought of journalism. Mm, because, like, you didn't watch the news, or...? <laughs> you know better than that. <laughs> well, that's all I do is watch the news. <laughs> I know. I keep it on till noon, and then I put on the old Western movies at noon. Why Why do you keep Fox News on till noon? Well, i got to find out what's going on in the world. I'm kind of stuck out here in the hicks, you know. Not that I can change anything. It's just that I like to know what's going on. So what do you see that's going on in the world right now that, that you care the most about? I wonder about, you know, your journalism is, I, I think, a tougher job than it used to be a few years ago. Yeah. Because lying seems to be a normal anymore, and as a journalist, you're going to have to figure out who's lying to you and who's telling you the truth, and that's not going to be easy. Do you think that the media is doing a good job of that right now? No, I just don't. I, I don't believe anything the media says, nothing. They put one thing out, and then it comes out later that it was a, was a lie. So you think the media is biased? I, I think they're crooked. I think they're liars. They report what they want to report, and it don't fit their uh, agenda. They don't report it. What do you think about me being a journalist? Well, I, you know, honest answer, uh, you don't get no participation trophies from me. I, you know, when I when I see what you do, I'll answer that question. And if, if it agrees with my agenda, you'll be okay. If it don't, well, then I'll maybe give you one star instead of two. <laughs> If you write something I don't like, I just won't read it. See, this is what I'm afraid of is that is that there's multiple different versions of the facts depending on who you talk to. And I want to make things that, you know, are closest to facts regardless of if you think that it's um, something you disagree with. You know, they're the facts. That, but see, what, what are the facts? How do you know it's a fact? Well, I mean, it might be something you believe. But can you actually say it is an absolute fact? Journalism isn't an art. It's a practice, right? Like you you source things from multiple sources until you can confirm it from as many places as you possibly can. You try and get it documented in public records if you can. Or, you know, you try and get at it from every angle so you can zero in on what's true. <laughs> I don't yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm just skeptical of everything anymore. What keeps you up at night? What are you really worried about? Me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't worry. You know that. Really? What about the media? Well, the media, they, they're in a world all their own. You can't, I mean, the media is just the media. There's, there's, there's no hope for it. Why? Like no hope whatsoever? <laughs> None. Zero. The, the the editors that you know edit the newspapers and they edit it the way they want it to come out. See, from my perspective, editors are journalists too, and they share the same dedication. At least the editors that I've worked it with say, share the same goal of putting out something that's true. 
you you think they they you think that they when they write it they believe it I think the editor's job is to make sure that what ends up in the newspaper or on the radio or on TV is the most accurate it it can possibly be I guess that comes down to you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe <laughs> <laughs> I I know you believe in it or you wouldn't uh, put all the effort into into going to school, uh, and and I believe you'll do a good job. I just, you know, my attitude now is, I, I guess I should be from Missouri because my attitude is show me. <laughs> okay, well, I will do my best to show you, Grandpa. Okay, you're going to get a little more credit probably than you deserve. <laughs> uh, you're not going to get an A plus unless you earn it. Okay. Except from Grandma. Grandma will give you an A-plus for everything. <laughs> okay, Gramps, I, um, I love you. Um, drive safely home. I'm going to the bar. No, you're not. <laughs> I will drive safe. Love you. That was journalist Lacey Jane Roberts and her grandfather, Tom Tyler. Check out more of our Start the Conversation series at CaliforniaReport.org. A lot of us are told not to talk politics at the dinner table, especially if your guests fall on different sides of the political spectrum. But as Bianca Taylor tells us, a new movement called Make America Dinner Again breaks this rule in a big way. It's 6 p.m. and the dinner guests are just arriving at this downtown San Francisco loft. A young Bolivian woman who works at Facebook. A bar owner who describes himself as a trifecta. Boy Scout, frat boy, and Marine a UC Berkeley graduate student whose family voted for President Trump, a conservative lawyer, and a transgender adoptee. They've never met each other until now. After the gourmet pizzas and salads are delivered, the facilitator, Haley Stewart, ushers the guests to a big round table and lays down some ground rules. I really try not to make judgment statements. Don't say, you're bad, you're wrong, you're crazy. Try and put those into I statements. Um, so this, this made me feel. Justine Lee co-founded Make America Dinner Again a day after the presidential election. She says she wanted to put her energy into something productive to heal what she saw as a huge national divide. Dinner felt right. People can look around and just recognize how special it is to get you know, to step outside their bubble and outside of their daily work grind and um, just come together. All of tonight's dinner guests have applied online to be here. They enjoy their pizza over small talk, and once the plates are cleared, are excited to do the work of bridging the differences they know they walked in here with. In the first exercise, they're paired up and asked to find one thing they have in common. I listened in on Walt Shefflow and Min Matson's conversation. You grew up in South Dakota, right? I'm from North Dakota. Midwest. Not only the Midwest, the Dakotas. But other than that, these men are very different. Min is transgender, liberal, and was adopted from Korea as a child. A few years ago, he adopted a son of his own, Aiden. Min's arms are decorated with colorful tattoos, and he wears a purple checkered shirt, his favorite color. Walt, he's a white conservative who voted for President Trump. He's a father of four and works as a lawyer in San Mateo. 
They're still talking about the Dakotas when Haley gives the next instructions. We're going to give each of you guys 10 minutes, and you're going to share answers to two questions. What has shaped your identity, and what has shaken it? Walt starts. He says he's been upset by how hostile the Bay Area felt to conservatives after the 2016 election. It was very disappointing to me to hear the things that were said to me in particular and to my friends. Meanest things I can possibly imagine, and it really pissed me off. And he feels like we're going backwards. I'm old enough to recall the 60s. You know, there was a lot of stuff happening then. There were race riots. I really thought that those days had gone away. Um, but we're right back at it. You know, there are a lot of colleges I wouldn't send my kids to anymore. Berkeley is one of them. I know people think that the, most of the racism is in the South or the country. I think most of it's here. Then it's Walt's turn to interview men. What about your identity has been shaken, challenged, or enhanced? As a person of color, we see the, the most recent demonstrations um, of clear signs of very divisive racism, as you talked about. There's a lot of things in the media that talk about um, the target of trans people, including the military. Also, um, seeing in the media, you know, the fact that my son is Latino, he's, he's Mexican, he's from Texas. His birth family, parts of his birth family are from Mexico. I think seeing that who he is is under attack, and he doesn't even know it yet. But then there's a connection. Is your identity, do you, if somebody says, so what are you? Or some, I'm not thinking the right words, I'm sure. Would you say transgender first? I would say I'm a father first. You're a father, there you go. I say way to go because that's how I would identify too. It seems like Walton Men could have talked about fatherhood all night. But Haley Stewart, the facilitator, interrupts the group to take them one step further into something she calls radical empathy. She tells them that when they regroup, each person will share their partner's story, but in the first person. The idea is that if you can listen and then share out someone else's story as your own, you can internalize it and create a deeper empathy. Um, do we have any brave volunteers to go first? I am Min Matson. Um, I was adopted in Seoul, South Korea. Um, I grew up as a young woman and then transgendered. And I'm a father. Um, I have a son who is uh, four years old. Um, it's uh, transgender seem to be targets. Uh, and uh, since I am transgender, I think that is a difficult thing to do. Uh, I am proudest of being a father and a son. Then it's Min's turn to tell Walt's story in the first person. Many of my family members are small business owners, and a lot of them work in agriculture. So I learned a lot from them and what that looked like, and I always really respected um, the, the work that they do. And um, people talk about the South as being really racist, but I really think that the Bay Area is very racist. On campus, there's race riots, and um, you know, there's a lot of really uh, things that feel like they were done, and now they're back again. After the dinner, I pull each of them aside to ask them what they learned about themselves and their partners. I think that Walt and I would probably be to the least likely people to really connect um, and then I very much appreciate him. I think he is a very, very good-hearted person who has felt hurt and has felt left out in some spaces. Min and I dis definitely disagree politically on issues, um, but uh, the thing I like about him is he's facing life's challenges in a positive way. He's trying to make things better for himself and his family. And uh, one thing I really liked, he told me tonight, 
um, the two most significant things in his life was the first time he heard his adopted parents call him son, and he heard his uh, little boy call him father. And I can identify with that. In just a few hours, a white conservative Trump voter and a transgender Korean adoptee broke bread, shared their stories, and came away with something that seems to be lacking these days, respect. But the guests here tonight raise some questions. Once we find out what we have in common, what would it take to do the difficult work of hashing out our differences? How do you scale this kind of experiment beyond just eight people in San Francisco? The Make America Dinner Again organizers have created an online toolkit to help people host their own dinners. Their hope is that people continue to meet, eat, and that the radical empathy keeps growing. For The California Report, I'm Bianca Taylor. You're listening to a special edition of the California Report magazine. 2017 was a year of tension, mistrust, people feeling divided. As we head into a new year, we're rebroadcasting some of our favorite stories about people coming together, despite their differences. That's the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. For more than 40 years, the group has used its music to help create community and bridge divides. Last fall, they toured five southern states. The idea was to support local LGBTQ communities who may feel increasingly vulnerable in conservative areas. KQED arts reporter Chloe Veltman caught up with them on the tour bus. She tells us about one of the singers and his mom, who hadn't heard him perform since he was living as a little girl. On the journey from Birmingham, Alabama to Knoxville, Tennessee, singer Tom Kennard isn't paying much attention to a video screening of the best little whorehouse in Texas like the rest of his fellow choir members on the bus. He's worried about whether his mom will like the scarf he's crocheted for her. She picked green to go with her pea coat. I mean, I didn't wrap them up nicely, but... Tom's 67, and it's been many years since his mom Joyce last heard him sing. She's travelling five and a half hours from Indianapolis to see Tom perform with the chorus in Knoxville. When I chat with him in his hotel ahead of the show, Tom recalls with horror his mom dressing him up like a doll when he was a child. She always had me in these frilly dresses and frilly socks. Joyce is something of a traditionalist, I discover, when I first meet her at her hotel shortly after she arrives in Knoxville, a churchgoer who met her husband in high school. We were together 67 years, raised five children. Tom was the oldest. So it was tough on Joyce when Tom came out as a lesbian in his 20s, and even tougher when, at age 47, he decided to take hormones and eventually undergo gender reassignment surgery. And honestly, I was very shocked. I had a hard time accepting it. She's since come around. I realized after a while that I loved my child, and I didn't want to lose my child. Bringing people together is one of the reasons the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is on this tour. 
The country's biggest and oldest gay choir changed its international travel plans soon after the 2016 presidential election to instead visit five southern states. The singers are doing concerts and outreach events in places where LGBTQ rights are in conflict with conservative Christian views. Right before the concert begins, Joyce takes her seat front and centre in the Knoxville Civic Auditorium. She's excited and a little bit nervous. She's brought her daughter Amy along for support. Are you ready, Mum? I'm ready. (laughs) Meanwhile, Tom's backstage. He's nervous too. He's one of 250 singers and he wants to make sure his mum and sister get a good view of him up there under the lights. Do you think they can see me? It's showtime. The singers file on stage and perform a set that ranges from the serious to the silly. There are close to a thousand people in the audience. The mayor of Knoxville is here. Everyone seems to be having a great time. Once the curtain goes down, Tom rushes to the lobby to find his family. What did you think, family? Oh, Oh, I thought it was was so wonderful. You have to get the new album. Thank you. I told Amy, I need a new needle for my little record player. It's taken years for Joyce and Tom to get to this point. Tom says his mother's trip to see him sing with the chorus gave her some peace with the choices he's made to live his life in the most authentic way he can. But like any mother, Joyce is worried about her child's safety, especially since the chorus was headed to North Carolina, where there's an ongoing battle around whether trans people are legally allowed to use the bathroom that matches their gender identity. Not that Tom would be mistaken for a woman in the men's restroom. He's bald and sings low bass in the choir. is just happy his mom got to see him sing and relieved that she likes her new crocheted scarf. For the California Report, I'm Chloe Veltman. Every week, the California Report magazine takes you on a road trip for the ears. Getting directions to Forks of Salmon. We visit the places and meet the people who make the Golden State unique. From a homeless college student in Oakland. So I don't feel like just because I'm homeless that I have to look the part. To a cattle ranching mom in the Sierra foothills. So I fix fence, we pull calves, I do everything. We're the half-hour weekend magazine, the in-depth storytelling show from the California Report. And we're launching our own podcast. Subscribe to the California Report magazine on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes people from really different worlds come together by chance. That's what happened to Paul Barnett and his friend Armando Rivera. They met in the 80s at a grocery store in the Central Valley. Armando is deaf, and he taught Paul how to sign. They've been friends ever since. So we're going to hear a conversation between the two of them. An interpreter who's a woman translates Armando's side of the conversation. Armando makes vocal sounds when he signs. So you'll hear that too. 
I was in the grocery store and I was looking around and I noticed someone there and saying, excuse me. And then the, are you deaf? Oh, no, you sign. I knew the alphabet and he was struggling with the clerk in the store. And so I, you know, I, I, being a social work student, I thought I was going to save the world. So I, I jumped in to uh, try and interpret and the little that I knew. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a nice encounter. I wanted to learn a little bit more of the sign language. And so uh, out of a week later, his mother calls and says, do you remember the deaf uh, gentleman you met? They'd like to visit you. And I, I thought, well, sure, you know. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. I forgot that part of the story. And first three words that he taught me were yes, no, and tomorrow. And if you think about it, you know, you're, those are probably the three most important words. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah you've got a point there. And about your mother and father, uh, how did they communicate with you when you were growing up? There was no signing. I was trying to lip read, but no signing. Oh, okay. Um, when you moved here to Fresno um, and... You uh, started work in the fields. What kind of work did you do? Grapes? So we picked grapes. Peaches. I mean, it was a variety of produce that we picked. So describe a typical day, like um, when you were working in the fields, what time would you have to get up in the morning? Oh, gosh. Oh, about three. It was three in the morning. How old were you when you started working in the fields? It started when I was um, really, when I was 16 through my teen years. Um, describe what it was like, you know, working in the vines. Was it, uh, did you see spiders and was it dirty and dusty? And Oh, God, there were spiders, there were bees, there were, you know, snakes, there was everything. And then you're looking at all of their droppings and so forth. Yes. Oh, at the end of the day, I was basically all black, filled with dirt. I mean, you could even feel the dirt in your nose, in your nostrils, because when you're out there picking and you're breathing, you're inhaling all the dust and the dirt. Uh Mondo, you told me a story once where uh, your family was picking grapes, and uh, there was two rows. My father and sister and brother were at one row, and myself with my mom and other sibling were at the other row. So it was three against three. And so what we do to alleviate the time is we'd create a race out of it, a competition, each of us to see who would finish the row, you know, which team would finish it. My father was happy when I was on his team because it meant, you know, his team won. You know, I'm lucky that uh, I met a native speaker who... I took the time and effort to teach me a different language, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, so we've been friends for 35 years now. (laughs) (laughs) This is pretty fun. This has been really fun. That conversation between Paul Barnett and his friend Armando Rivera is part of a project with the Henry Madden Library at Fresno State. It was recorded by StoryCorps, a national nonprofit whose mission is to preserve and share humanity's stories, 
in order to build connections between people and create a more just and compassionate world. And that's the California Report Magazine, a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our director is Susie Racho. Our technical producer is Seal Muller, with additional engineering from Danny Bringer, Howard Gelman, Katie McMurrin, and Rob Spate. Victoria Maulione is our senior editor. Our online producer is David Marks. And our social media producer is Miranda Leitzinger. Our team also includes Ingrid Becker, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koga. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, expanding economic and political opportunity for Californians who are working but struggling with poverty. More at irvine.org. Block Construction, a builder committed to enhancing communities in the Bay Area and Central Coast. B-L-A-C-H dot com. Block Construction, together building greatness. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.